Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to have a conversation around the topic of beef on dairy, specifically thinking about the impact of beef on dairy on carcass traits, what's occurring with that, and then also some of the data that's being collected in terms of carcass traits and how that information is being used by breed associations as they put it into their data pool, thinking about measuring bulls and their expected progeny differences. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Bob Weber, who's at Kansas State University. Thanks for joining me today. Good morning, Aaron. Before we dive into and talk about this topic, share with us a little more about yourself, your background, and your current role there at Kansas State University. Sure, Aaron. Um, well, I've been uh, here at K-State for about 11 years, currently kind of work in, in the administrative role overseeing research and uh, extension programs and facilities on the eastern half of the state, transitioned to the, that kind of administrative role here about a year ago. Uh, prior to that was uh, a cow-calf uh, extension specialist um, here at K-State with a, a research appointment in beef cattle genetics. So I've been uh, involved in uh, with colleagues here, Megan Rolf and uh, Jenny Borman, in a kind of wide range of new trait development work. Some uh, graduate students uh, um, kind of focused on, on novel trait development. And, uh, you know, prior to that was uh, kind of a similar uh, beef genetics extension role at the University of Missouri, deeply involved Beef Improvement Federation, currently serve as uh, executive director of that group. And so your, your beef on dairy topics, one that's uh, central of, of interest to us and I'm glad, glad to be able to join you today. So this topic of beef on dairy was a major segment of the meeting that was held back in June of 2021, part of the Beef Improvement Federation's annual meeting. Share with us a little bit about what you're seeing currently happen in the industry in terms of the amount of beef semen being used on dairy. And then how is that data being plugged into breed evaluations in terms of understanding differences among bulls, carcass traits, things like that? Yeah, great, uh, great question, Aaron. And one of the things that's that's been just really remarkable from you know the semen sales side is is the volume of beef semen that's that's now moving into uh, into the dairy sector. And I think maybe last week uh, you mentioned you had uh, Don Trimmer on the NAAB and talking about some of their their uh, experiences. And I follow that data uh, pretty closely, just kind of keep a, a, a tab on, you know, kind of where and what breeds are um, going into the, the beef on dairy sector. And, you know, if you look at the, the growth in beef semen sales for uh, domestic use, it's changed dramatically in the last four or five years. And we see, you know, somewhere probably two and a half, three million doses, uh, if I remember the, the data right, beef semen now going into the, into the dairy sector, which is, you know, a massive amount of, of beef semen where historically, you know, our, our penetration is, as you know, from your extension work, you know, beef on beef is largely a, a seed stock effort with a, some, you know, maybe AI programs for heifers and that kind of thing on the, on the commercial beef side. And so the dairy segment has really become a, a really big target for AI companies, obviously, and, and beef bull purchases for bulls to that kind of line up with the selection objective of those dairy producers. You know, one of the uh, interesting things that's that's happened, uh, sort of my space, is that uh, um, you know I do some consulting work for the North American and Canadian Limousine Associations on their genetic evaluation systems, and, and work closely with the, the team at IGS through that relationship, and and uh, also on the extension side. And we had a, an opportunity with Wolf Cattle and uh, their partnership with Riverview 
to um, integrate a really big quantity, a large quantity of carcass data flowing out of what they call the breeding to feeding program um, with Riverview and Wolf into the NALF database and then eventually into, uh, into the IGS uh, genetic evaluation. Here, probably in the next month, that inventory of, of carcass data that's uh, making its way into, uh, into the carcass evaluation at IGS through the limousine channel, it's going to exceed um, uh, just the beef on dairy part, uh, 100,000 records. Right now, that um, um, total inventory, I looked it up uh, here a couple of days ago on the audit site, nearly about 107,000 carcass records make it into the evaluation. We've got a few more than that, but you know, of course, the edits and um, you know, data checks and all that kind of stuff, you always lose a few records that have missing missing components to them, but uh, um, really a, a massive influx of, of data, about a tenfold increase here in the last 18 months for um, limousine-sired calves. The um, impact of that is uh, um, difficult to understate. Uh, it's just a, a massive amount of data. You know, there are bulls that go into that system as part of their strategy, you know, one of the first things they want to, to figure out is, will they settle dairy cows? And in that test, most of the bulls will generate between two and 500 carcass records, and which is, you know, orders of, you know, lots of beef bulls don't have a couple dozen carcass records, actual carcass records on file. So even the, the, the less evaluated bulls in this system have a, a very large amount of carcass data. You know, they move into the 0.8 accuracy very quickly. And the, the well-evaluated bulls have north of 10,000 carcass records included in the evaluation. And so it's it's been a really interesting project, not without some uh, technical challenge. You know, one of the things we had to do is, uh, you know, all of our due diligence to make sure that, you know, the variance components and, and genetic parameters and correlations of the beef on dairy uh, information that was flowing in matched up with the existing beef on beef data in the, in the carcass evaluation. We didn't want to just you know drop this data in there blindly and you know really mess up the uh, beef on beef evaluation. So we did that. It took a, a period of time. Uh, we probably worked uh, close to a year, you know, figuring out you know what's the appropriate contemporary group. And of course, these calves are produced under a uh, markedly different production system than a typical beef calf in, in that, you know, they're uh, separated from their dams at a couple of days and then to uh, a calf ranch and then eventually to group housing and on feed at, at fairly light weights and then uh, an extended feeding period. And so we kind of do some work to sort through um, both kind of the management complexities of how those calves are, are, are pushed through the system uh, to make sure we could um, get good contemporary groups structured. And uh, then also understand, you know, the impacts of, of putting this data in the evaluation. So, you know, how, what are the rank correlations between, you know, a genetic evaluation prototype system that I built for just the beef on dairy data? Um, and how does that compare to those bulls evaluation in the, in the IGS run, both pre and post inclusion of that data? So a pretty, pretty big lift for uh, all the parties involved, but uh, one that, uh, I think over time is going to be a, a really valuable source of information for seed stock producers ultimately to make genetic improvement in the carcass space. So, let's talk a little bit about what, as you look at the carcass data, as you also go back a little bit and look at feedlot performance, how do beef on dairy calves compare with a straight beef contemporary? Yeah, great, great question. And I think you know, one of the you know, industry trends is obviously feed, feed cattle for quite a while. And so, one of the things we see is 
these beef on dairy calves, particularly the, you know, we use the, the limousine or limflex sired calves out of, out of Jersey cows, typically get to a little bit lighter finish weights than uh, some of our traditional beef on beef systems, which arguably those maybe have, from market signals, maybe overshot what our customer preference is. And so the beef on dairy, particularly the Jersey sired calves will, will be a little bit lighter, but from a, a customer acceptance and you know, sort of ideal carcass and ribeye size, those cattle actually perform really well. They're in the kind of 13 to 14 inch ribeye area. Of course, you know, breed complementarity is, is a, a thing we should think about and exploit here. And one of the reasons that, you know, the, the wolf system is, has worked so well is really changing, you know, confirmation structure of, of those cattle as they get graded to dr- dramatically reduce, typically runs, you know, if you look at the Cargill data that uh, uh, Glenn Dolezal presented here at NCBA or so ago, the beef on dairy calves typically produce 1% or less discount for dairy type. And so as we introduce beef genetics in there, being able to change particularly ribeye shape and carcass weights of those, particularly the Jersey calves, uh, really changes the value proposition of those animals moving moving through the chain. You know, the cattle, because they're a little bit lighter and enhanced, you know, ribeye shape for these limousine and limflex sired calves, uh, yield grades typically tend to be half a point or better improvement over the native cattle. And part of that's just, you know, trying to control, you know, they're already on feed long enough. Uh, days, more days on feed just exacerbates our yardage problem in some of the dairy cross calves. And so they're typically maybe a little more sensitive to, to kind of yield grade than what a typical feedlot operator might be on uh, beef on beef calves. You know, in terms of feedlot performance, uh, a, a fair bit of the data suggests um, you know, those cattle are maybe a couple of tenths behind uh, native cattle on uh, average daily gain efficiencies, uh, at least on a pen-wide basis, tend to be pretty similar. And so, you know, we've made, uh, you know, substantial improvements uh, compared to, you know, dairy or dairy, straight dairy steers, for instance, in, in the feed yard performance bit. Of course, some benefits from, you know, health and, and so forth of those cattle, since they, they've got uh, um, some heterosis working for them, tend to be better health. Um, some you know obstacles yet in terms of uh, and this is not just unique to the the dairy side but you know uh, liver abscess and liver adhesions uh, can be a problem once in a while so kind of figuring out our our path to manage you know cattle through um, these longer feeding periods is, is something we've got to continue to work on but um, you know the cattle in all you know carcass quality grade tends to be excellent uh, of course the Holstein and Jersey breeds bring a fair bit of marbling to the table so you know if we go and, and look at you know in these uh, limousine influence cattle you know we can be pretty easily 10 percent prime or better you know pretty small percentage of select carcasses you know in, in the cases of, of the limflex or, or half-blood limousine Angus bulls used in those cows you know a very small percentage of select carcasses of course, in the ones that are black hided, you know, we, we tune those cattle up enough uh, in terms of coat color to qualify into uh, certified Angus beef or house brand Angus products, which you know has a, a big economic benefit to um, uh, those dairy producers that are feeding those cattle. So, you think about seed stock producers as they look at bulls that have been used exclusively, uh, maybe I shouldn't say exclusively, but used extensively on dairy cows and they're looking at that carcass data. How should they think about that as they think about the impacts of that if they were to use that bull in their breeding system? Yeah, so I think the the approach has been really in these beef on dairy calves, 
you know, identifying one, you know, lots of these systems that monitor, you know, conception rates, that's a, obviously an important part of the beef on dairy model. After that, you know, those bulls are, are largely selected for, you know, acceptable levels of calving ease, right? So if we're using these bulls on, you know, Jersey cows, for example, we can't, we can't just ignore, uh, ignore calving ease. And certainly, you know, there's some birth weight heterosis effects that come into play when we start building these crossbred calves. So, you know, Pretty universally, calving ease is is a consideration. They don't have to be, you know, double digit um, or upper double digit, you know, on an Angus equivalent uh, to work here. But they sure can't be, you know, cow killers either. So we've got to make sure that we're acceptable in in, in calving ease. And then after that, they they tend to be very terminally focused and principally carcass weight and ribeye area tend to be the the sort of two focal points for the carcass traits that that get emphasized in these systems. And again, a a reflection of sort of the complementarity approach to um, genetic improvement here of, you know, how do we fix the deficiencies of Angus and Jersey cows as they think about, um, you know, producing slaughter carcasses out of those um, uh, progeny runs. So, you know, ribeye shape becomes an important piece and overall carcass muscularity and and yield grade. To a lesser extent, marbling is obviously uh, not an unimportant aspect, but because of the the merit that these Jersey and Holstein cows bring to the table, it's it's not as maybe a bigger priority as if we were thinking about, you know, a beef on beef kind of mating to target one of these real high quality sort of uh, grid-based systems. When you look at the number of cattle slaughtered, I'm thinking here fed cattle slaughtered in the United States today, what percent or how many head would you estimate be beef on dairy? Yeah, great, great question, Aaron. So a couple of ways uh, to, to think about this. One's, you know, if we think about the, the, the amount of, you know, dairy herds predominantly, almost exclusively now are, are AI, AI mated and particularly the big ones. And so if we've roughly got about 3 million doses of beef semen going into these dairies, you know, their routine AI conception rates, you know, are in, in between say 35 and 40% somewhere, or 2.7, 2.8 services per conception. So, you know, that gets us into that, that territory. We know all the beef sired calves, both bulls and, or, and heifers ultimately make their way uh, into the beef chain. So those numbers tell us, you know, probably just north between one and 1.2 million head of beef on dairy calves are now being produced out of those AI matings, ultimately come into you know, our uh, beef chain, which that, that number would account for somewhere roughly about five, between five and 7% of our current federally inspected deer and heifer slaughter numbers. So it's not, you know, we're not displacing uh, a third or half of the, the beef chain, these beef on dairy calves, but uh, certainly a substantial percentage uh, flowing into the system. So. As you look forward, as you see what's going on in the dairy industry, the increase in the use of beef semen, what are some things that you think the beef industry cattle producers should be aware of and and I think maybe learn from what they're observing that's going on in that part of the business. Yeah, I think there's uh, there, there's a couple. One is been engaged in, in doing a little bit of research in this space, including some beef on dairy data is in the male fertility space. So, you know, these systems and, and more broadly, the, the beef on dairy provides us an opportunity to capture meaningful performance data in specific trait complexes that we can capture and pull back into our beef genetic evaluation system. So I think there's a, a good story and model to tell about, you know, how do we capture meaningful commercial data 
and use that for genetic improvement. Obviously, carcass data is one that's historically been very difficult for our seed stock sector to uh, acquire and integrate into uh, the genetic evaluation system. These coordinated beef on dairy systems provide an opportunity to do that. So I think there's there's a good story to tell there. Um, I think the the other bit is is you know how do we as beef producers continue to refine our selection objectives and, and breeding system. I think that, you know, the dairy industry obviously is, is very data driven, very genetics driven. And I think, um, you know, in, in the beef sector, my sense is, and particularly here of recent, maybe some big questions by producers about, you know, the science of genetic evaluation. And uh, that uh, as an extension educator, I find a little frustrating because, you know, guys like me and your colleague, Matt Spangler and Dare Bullock and a number of others, you know, have spent our careers working on um, not only development, but fostering adoption of, of genetic improvement technologies um, that really work and, you know, genomically enhanced systems, et cetera. Um, so I think there's, there's another lesson for beef producers that, you know, a, attention to data that's meaningful in the system can, can really drive financial gains. And I think that the dairy industry in particular is a lot and, and pork and poultry, obviously, too, a lot better at, at understanding that data as it moves along the supply chain and integrating it back into seed stock decisions. You know, recognize our, our system's a lot more uh, segmented, a lot more uh, diversity in terms of number of players and decision makers. But this beef on dairy systems provide a, uh, a good example of you know, some coordinated work, not only amongst individual breeders, but certainly organizations you know, as we think about you know, Limousine uh, or North American Limousine Foundation, um, American Angus Association, American Simmental, um, working on indexes that are that are specifically designed for selecting bulls to go into those breeding programs. You know, really a testament to you know understanding our customers and, and really building products that work for them. So, anything else on this topic that you think would be valuable for producers to know and understand? Yeah, good question, Aaron. I think. You know, a little bit in contrast to my my previous statement is it's probably, and I think a lot of the bulls that have moved from, you know, the beef sector into the beef on dairy sector have been selected primarily for sort of their, their terminal and, and calving yeast type traits. You know, we'll continue to collect additional data on, on bulls that make them you know, potentially more or less desirable, I guess, into, into those chains. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, as, as producers, seed stock, beef seed stock producers think about this opportunity, you know, it, it's one to keep an eye on certainly, but it's also probably one that it doesn't make particularly a great amount of sense to go and say, well, I'm going to build the next great, you know, beef on dairy bull. You know, these bulls have been identified and kind of as a subset of, of the existing production chain that have this kind of unique niche of, of characteristics, obviously produce lots of semen to go into that space. I don't know, maybe a, a number of beef producers don't recognize the, the cost difference between beef semen going into dairy sectors versus beef semen going into the beef sector pretty marked difference in, in costing going into those, recognizing the service per conception differences between beef cows and dairy cows. And so, you know, I think if, if somebody's sitting back and listening to our, our podcast going, hey, I'm going to start building bulls to go into that system, recognize that, you know, there's about 10% of inventory of the beef herd represented by dairy cows. Uh, it's not a 25 million or 30 million target population. It's about a two and a half or 3 million target. So, you know, understanding that component, I think is really important too. So. Thanks again for joining me today. I appreciate your time. Thanks for the invite, Aaron. Really enjoyed our conversation today.
But for more on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the Beef Improvement Federation's website. Again, if you go to that website, you can find the presentation that Dr. Bob Weber did. Uh, that has some good information there. There's a panel discussion after his presentation. Again, would encourage you to visit the website to learn more about this topic.